0: Okay, season two, here we come. The Kardashians are back on Hulu. We're back in case you missed us. This September. We are starting to talk wedding dresses. Everything gets elevated. I do believe in love. When you love, you know you're alive. You have these feelings. No matter how crazy things are, we're always going to be family. Now
1: hold your crown
0: up. The Kardashians season two, streaming this September only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the new season. Remember, if you like this podcast, subscribe and you won't miss an episode. If you would like to help me out, you can rate and review it on iTunes to make it easier to find. You could also share it with a friend, however you wish. You could put it on their Facebook page, tweet them or just go, Hey, guess what I've been listening to? If you hate Apple, you can subscribe through Android on headstuff.org and you never know, while you're there you might even find something nice to read. Get ready, the new episode is about to start now. Hello, you are very welcome to another episode of Fascinated. My guest today is the fantastic Carol Decker. Carol was the front woman of the 80s rock band Topao, and she wrote some of the most recognizable songs from the 80s. China. I contacted Carol to see if she would be interested in doing an interview for this show, and she said yes, but she asked if I could go to her house as she had broken her arm after a night out with Kim Wilde and Bonnie Tyler. Of course, I'm going to go to her house, even just to hear that story. So, when I was in London, I got the train to the very fancy town of Henley on Thames, and I have to say, we had a blast. Whether or not you know Te you will definitely have heard their music. If you think you haven't, just turn on an 80s music station and wait 20 minutes and the chances are they will play China In Your Hand or Heart and Soul or Secret Garden. If If you haven't heard any of these songs, the next time you're going on a long car journey, put on the greatest hits and I guarantee it, you'll be hooked. When Tipow made it, they made it big. Carol Decker was 28 when the band took off, and she was ready for world domination. She believed in herself and her music 100%, and she had lived in poverty while clinging onto the dream that she would make it. She says herself the bigger the stage has got, she allowed her ego and her personality to get big enough to fill it. By the time they got their record deal, Carol and Ronnie already had all of the songs written for the first two albums. They went to America to make their first album, Bridge of Spies, with a very respected producer. But when the record was pressed, they realised there was a sound problem. This, coupled with the first single, Heart and Soul, bombing in the charts, was very nearly the death knell for the band. The record label gave Tipeau one final chance when they re-released Heart and Soul. And it was worth the chance. The song became a smash hit all over the world. After their second album, cracks began to show. Carol told me about the struggle to make the third album and how being the one to call the shots wasn't always easy. She and Ronnie were the heart of T'Pau and Carol was the face of it. They toured relentlessly and at one point, after their second album, they were on the road for 17 months. So with
1: a broken heart and I hope you haven't got one because I know they hurt. From me.
0: After the band ended, Carol spent a long time feeling like her career was over. Everything she had achieved in her glory days was overshadowed by a dark feeling of failure. It wasn't until she was asked to appear in an 80s packet show that she realised that people did still love her music and it reignited her passion for writing and performing. Fantastic. Now this might sound controversial, but I'm going to say it. I think the music that Carol and Tapao have made since their heyday is actually better. I absolutely love her album Red and the most recent Tapeau album Pleasure and Pain is brilliant. In 2015, Universal released a repackaged version of their first album, Bridge of Spies. They added in hard-to-find songs and unreleased material and a concert DVD. And the whole package surprised everybody involved by selling out. It literally flew off the shelves. A couple of weeks ago, the second and third Tapeau albums, Rage and The Promise, got the same treatment in what looks like a very fancy set called The Virgin Anthology. So get it before it's gone. When I arrived at Carol's house, her son Dylan opened the door. I walked into a hall with a grand piano and Carol came down a windy staircase in a pair of shiny black trousers. Yes, if you are going to meet a rock queen, this is the entrance that you want to see. It is definitely worth saying that both of her kids, Dylan who is 14 and Scarlett who is 18, are just really cool kids. They're really interesting, interested people with great personalities, but they didn't lick it off the stones. You will hear from the interview that Carol is great fun. She has a big personality, she loves stand-up and has a completely, completely uncensored deadpan sense of humour. She is just fantastic company and she has had an extraordinary life. The story of Tepeo is very much rags to riches. It's the story you want to hear if you are working hard and believe that what you are doing will take you to great places in the future. They were born out of conviction, hard work and the right tape being in the right pocket at the right time. This is the fantastic Carol Decker. Okay, I'm very excited. This is the first home visit that we've done. And we've had to do a home visit because our fantastic guest is laid up at the moment with a broken arm. I am,
1: yeah.
0: It's the fantastic Carol Decker.
1: Ta-da! Ta-da! The one-armed
0: Carol Decker. The one-armed Carol Decker. Yeah. So you you had a spill.
1: I did. Nothing heroic. I didn't... You it know, wasn't rock and roll. No, I wasn't out running an avalanche on the slopes or single-handedly <laughs> foiling a terrorist plot. I tripped over a chair two o'clock <laughs> in the morning in my hotel room after a show. And possibly a bit too much vodka. That makes me sound terrible, doesn't it? No, no rock seriously. and roll, it's what we it expect, was. That was it's what we want. A, yeah, that might be the rock and roll element. No, I just had a really brilliant gig at the Café de Paris in London and drinks with my pals. Um, Kim Wilde was there, ABC, Go West, Bonnie Tyler, who else, Paul Young. We had a riot. And yeah, that was, sounds
0: like a good night. Yeah, noise. and
1: then a Chinese takeaway, and I got up to go for a wee-wee about half past two in the morning and fell over a chair. And I have a broken arm. There you
0: go. But it's healing and you're going to be back on the road soon. Yes. yes.
1: We're getting there. We're getting
0: there. So, how have things been? You, you've you been so busy.
1: Yeah.
0: I, I was actually, I was just looking at your website. There's, <laughs> you're literally working nonstop, gigging. You've yep. written a book. How has the last two years been?
1: It's, well, busy. I mean, I have been busy for the last um, 15 years. It's crazy. I did my first 80s package tour in 2001. Um, It was called Here and Now, and we went around the arenas like the NEC and uh, Wembley Arena and Glasgow SEC and all the places that I used to sell out on my own, you know, in my glory days. And just haven't stopped. To be honest, a lot of people were sort of wrinkling their noses at doing that, but I had nothing to lose. My career had been dead in the water for quite a few years. And um, although I was fortunate enough to have made money because I co-wrote all my hits... I was kind of bored and kicking my heels and still wanted to perform. So I get a call, do you want to do this tour? And you do it with a house band. You just come on, do, you know, a handful of your best-known songs. Off you come, and the next one comes on. Yeah. But it's enormous fun. So that's kept me busy for ages. And then I was doing a little bit of acting, a bit of West End. I did some radio. And then I just thought, it's time I did something um, for myself and just step out of the kind of 80s packages so in 2013, we did, it was the tail end of our 25th year. So we did put a, a band together, including Ronnie Rogers, who co-wrote all the To Power Stuff with me and was the founding member of To Power With Me back in the 80s and also my ex-partner. Um, we were together for a long time, personally and professionally. And so he came back in the band, which was great for the fans because we're, we were the core of it. And then yeah. I just had great musicians that I work with now so we toured that that inspired us to do an album Pleasure and Pain
0: which is I have to say like an it? absolutely fantastic album Thank you. I really love it it's, it's really strange I was trying to think back of my history with Depeau and I was, ve- I was very much a greatest hits man yeah. and I it, it's only lately actually that i have started to learn what songs come from where and yeah. what the hits were because yeah. I think it, I think it was ten yeah. when when All right, I, up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only now I'm starting to actually listen to them as part of the albums. Yes, um, yeah. but pleasure and pain—it really—I don't know whether it's the chemistry of the two of you being back together, yeah. but it, it really does sound like that stuff.
1: Well, the that was our intention. There. We wanted to keep um, the integrity of what we did. It's kind of it, it was kind of difficult because the world's moved on. And you think, well, should I dump what I used to do? Because that's the 80s and that's then. So try something new. But then your fans don't want you to change too much. And also I I found that I couldn't. I'm forged in a certain era and I write songs in a certain way. And so does Ronnie. And we have a certain chemistry between us. And um,
0: And was it easy when you got back together? yeah, Yeah,
1: it was. It was just like, you know... We just gel really quickly. It got fantastic reviews, which is lovely. That's nice. So difficult to shift units these days. <laughs> There's no, I, know. I did, know. Did the
0: online thing, did that do anything with getting it you know, further afield and stuff like that? Um, a
1: little. To be honest now, if I, I sell my records, I go on the road and I, I do a meet and greet afterwards. And people love that. They like to meet you. They like to see you sign their own record. Because, you know, we don't get in the charts anymore, even though my old stuff you know, Heart and Soul, Valentine, China, that gets played on the 80s classic stations. On a loop. Every day. <laughs> yes. All over the world. So, But those stations are formatted to play that stuff, so they won't play your new stuff. That's and a then shame. And the then Radio 1 stuff won't play your new stuff because you're too old. So you get stuck. Yeah. And it's really difficult to get your music out there, um, which kind of hurts me a little because I agree with you, I think that Pleasure and Pain is a fantastic album and it got like five star reviews and it said it, it sounded contemporary but had the core integrity of T'Pau, as you remember, like yeah. you just said.
0: Some, sometimes when um, people go back and they do a new album, you, you kind of go, who, "Who, who is that actually? I, I yeah. don't recognise the voice, but within a couple of bars you go, oh yeah, that, that, that's definitely T'Pau. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like I love that song, Demolition Man. oh yeah oh it's such a brilliant song
1: thank you well i started that quite a few years ago and never got around to finishing it we actually finally finished it two years ago but it had been kind of sitting on a tape for a, a long long time and it was my, my mom bless her she died um october 2014 and i always gave her my demos you know, oh. usually on cassettes, so that's a whole Okay. Way. And uh, she would say, you've got to do something with Demolition Man. I absolutely love it. And so we finished it and we played it at her funeral. So my mum, she went off behind the curtains at the crematorium, oh, wow. rocking out to Demolition Man.
0: Oh my God. <laughs>
1: She'd have loved that. Have
0: yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. And so tell us, when did you start singing?
1: Um, really late in life, actually. I, I loved to sing and I could sing and knew I could sing. I'd been told I could sing. I was always in the choir. As a young kid, if I sang along to the radio, I could just harmonize in an instant with any of whatever was in the charts at the time. And remember, like people would comment on that or my, my parents' friends would say, gosh, she's got a great voice and she picks songs up. But I never thought it was a career I could make any living out of. And no one, nobody encouraged me to pursue it as a career. My parents didn't put me off. My father was a fantastic pianist. My mother had been a singer, but I think they were thinking it was just a bit of a, a pleasurable hobby. So when I was 22, after a succession of dead-end jobs and not really knowing what I wanted to do, I followed a friend to art school. Okay. I could draw a bit. I wasn't really very good, to be honest. I don't know how I got in. I just bluffed my way in with some really bad sketches. And um, But they kind of go on personality as well at art school. They like to have crazy people, you know. And in that environment... I started to meet a different kind of person. Went to a party, got chatting, met musicians. Someone said, well, you know, we need a singer. Do you want to come and audition? And so I auditioned. This is in Shropshire, where I grew up. Um, and I joined a band. And we were just sort of doing covers into the working men's clubs and bingo halls and what have you, you know. But also trying to write our own stuff as well and get our own thing going and... Um, Back then, you'd try and get a session in on Beacon Radio in Wolverhampton, or try and get a session on BRMB in Birmingham, and then work your way towards London. You know, and um, so that band was called the Lasers, spelt with a Z. Very um, arty. Oh yes. <laughs> And then I met. We did a gig. Um, a really, really, really famous uh, radio one DJ came to do a big gig in a in a barn. They used to make me laugh because they were called Young Farmers Balls, which is always. Awesome. <laughs> I've had my share of young farmers' <laughs> balls. And um, they want local bands to be on the bill. And so we built quite a reputation, so we got the gig. And then this other band called the Cats, K-A-T-Z.
0: Also very RG. Yes.
1: Alternative spellings and Z's, very big, very important. Very <laughs> and that's when I met Ronnie, Ronnie Rogers, and just fell madly in love with him. And he, similarly with me, and we he left his band and joined my band. We then started to write for the Lasers and then decided we wanted to leave that band and just focus on writing. So we did and my dad lent us some money. We lived in a really damp flat, so cold, we had ice on the inside of the windows. God. I always think of that when the weather turns, how lucky I am now, of central heating. My mum used to cry because we had no money and we used to gas meet, 50p in the gas meter, which seemed to last about 20 minutes. and. Used to sit, have to sit in sleeping bags watching telly. It was so freezing, but at God. least we had a telly. So yeah, no <laughs> yeah. Um, your priority, yeah, no heating. Little black we had and a white telly. portable we had. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we just and Dad helped us buy some very basic four track recording equipment, and we started to just write and post our tapes away, and that took forever. We were still in um, doing covers and stuff to earn some money, you know, uh, with our mates, and then finally. After lots of rejection letters, we got an opportunity to do a showcase gig in London for a Virgin label, and we got signed siren. And the rest, you know, you know, sort of kicked off with Heart and Soul, and, and on and we went. Yeah. When Heart and Soul
0: first came out, that yeah. that wasn't a hit initially, but it it went into a jeans commercial.
1: Pepe Jeans.
0: Pepe yeah. Jeans. And I was really surprised to learn that you didn't actually earn any money from the jeans no, commercial.
1: No, you were just... It was way before endorsements, and certainly no... We were at the start of our career, so I think if you're a big star, you might be able to say, well, you want to use my song, you're going to give me some money for it, you know. I mean, of course I got the publishing, yeah. you know, for the song and for the, for the song being played, the PRS and the publishing, but it was a long time before all that endorsement thing. Only people like Michael Jackson got like an endorsement for Pepsi or something, you know, we, you were just grateful and told to be grateful for the exposure.
0: But then the exposure was massive because it, it then yeah it really kicked off in a big way. With well, it
1: did. It, we we had a reprieve because we were nearly dumped by the label. We'd gone to Chicago. We'd done the album with Roy Thomas Baker, and he did these crazy mixes and really odd big. He compressed the record a lot, so it sounded. I'm not much of a technician. After thirty years in the business, I still don't know one end of a recording desk from another. But the amount of compression that Roy put on the record meant it sounded stonking on the radio, particularly AOR American radio, adult-orientated rock, as they call it. Okay. Um, But it sounded awful on your turntable. And of course, it was vinyl then, so I remember getting my first pressing, putting it on and going, racing over to my amp and trying to take the treble off and take the bass out and trying to get it to sound. i was going, this sounds fucking awful. (laughs) So... David Betridge, RMD, just called like um, a crisis meeting and said, this sounds fucking awful. He hated it. So when um, Heart and Soul bombed, it was like, see, told you so, and we were up to our eyes in debt for what it cost to work with Roy Thomas Baker, you know, the great man, Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody, to name but a few. Oh, my God. And Roy was very experimental, you know. And he just... Ronnie was really into Queen. I wasn't particularly although I respected them, I was more into his most recent success had been the cars. You know, who's going to drive you home Oh yeah, tonight? I loved that. And uh, so I was like, yeah, 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 you know, um, let's work with him, but he doesn't come cheap. You know, you've got to sign all your, you want yeah. your, your house yeah. and a huge percentage of everything <laughs> you own. Um, so yeah, so nobody liked the mixes. And I've had fans to this day say, I, I still can't play the record. I think when it went to CD, um, possibly they tweaked it. a little is the, the, This is the Bridge of Spies yeah. album. Okay. Sorry, yes, the Bridge of Spies album. Yeah. I um, never knew that. Yeah, so we got, we got a reprieve with the Pepe Jeans commercial. So that persuaded, it shot up the American charts, which was incredibly important and I'm sure still is for artists. You make it in America, the American reach is so wide across the world in terms of the arts, you know. Um, so we got a reprieve and it got re-released in Europe and then it went top five in most of the places it got released in. So it went to number four in the States and number four back home and that was great. You know, so we were back on track but it was touch and go. You know? Yeah. And
0: yeah. to have such success after that because yeah. you were simultaneously, you were number one in the single charts, the dance charts and the album charts. album charts all at the same time.
1: I know. And um, funnily enough because we're here at my home, which is in Henley-on-Thames, and down the bottom of the hill is George Harrison's house. Oh, okay. A little bit bigger than mine. <laughs> and his wife, Olivia, still lives there, and she used to come to our, our restaurant when my husband had a restaurant out here, and, uh, of course, I kept him at the number two slot with Got My Mind Set On You, and he congratulated me. I, I got to meet him before he died, and it was a Prince's Trust thing, and he congratulated me, you know.
0: Oh, my God, And I kept nice. Paul
1: McCartney at number two in the album shorts. <laughs> so I kept two Beatles off the number one slot.
0: They've done all right. They've done okay. They made a couple they've of d- bombs. yeah.
1: They've, they've done okay. They, they they've they've let done me flying. have my little moment in the sun. <laughs> yeah, what, what a
0: moment! Because like, China yeah. in your hand—that's a spectacular song. Thank you. Uh, do you do you remember the sessions when you wrote and recorded that?
1: Yeah, and and um, in in my autobiography, Heart and Soul, when going through boxes and boxes of junk, because I'm not much of an archiver, we found the original lyrics. No way. In a scrappy notebook like you've got, there. yeah, like that, one. Yeah. with all the crossings out. You know, it was a it was a theme she had down the street. All, the, all that shit, cross that bit out. You know, and all the crossings out and I think So we photographed that, and that's in the book. And, oh, wow. and I was really moved to discover them because that was 1986. I wrote it. So when you, I'm going to get a bit of wine out the fridge. I don't have to do anything sensible. To go, do you? <laughs>
0: I'll oh, go on, yeah.
1: So uh where were we?
0: We were yeah. talking trying to get your hands. Like when you yeah. when you wrote that song, did you think oh I've got a hit here?
1: No. Or was it not at just all. another song? No, well, um it didn't get us the deal because it wasn't born. The songs that got us the record deal, the main one was Valentine. It was a huge our um, sleeve, everybody loved it followed by Heart and Soul which is very different because of the rap something in the moon, There wasn't many people rapping in the 80s No, I invented rap, a lot of people don't understand <laughs> that well me, and, done. me and Debbie Harry Well done,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's done very well then.
1: And um, we were in the studio with Roy and uh, I can't even remember what track it was but something was um, not working and we were running out of time and we were a, chat, a track short, you know, because Roy had gone through all the demos, picked the ones that he wanted and stuff. And he said, have you got any a, another song or shall we re-listen to something we rejected and see, you know, something c- could make itself obvious that we can make... So-? And I literally, it sounds like a corny, a corny episode of fame. You know, I literally, <laughs> literally had the cassette in my pocket of the coat I was wearing. And Ronnie and I had started the song before we left for the States. I'd watched this documentary on Mary Shelley writing the book about Frankenstein which was my inspiration for the song and Ron had mapped out a load of chords and I'd had a story I wanted to tell over these chords he came up with but it was very basic it was just piano and vocal and Roy Mm -hmm. just went, that is a brilliant song but I hadn't even finished the lyrics I hadn't finished it so we wrote it kind of on the hoof in the studio and then Roy turned it into the massive beast that it is you know,
0: it's such an epic song, yeah. like it's absolutely
1: Thank you, incredible. and the, because it was born on a piano, China In Your Hand is amazing on an acoustic guitar, just a piano and vocal. You can pair it right, you know like Adele does, she can sing mm. her songs with a 100-piece orchestra or she can stand in front of a piano because they're classic songs. And yes. it's the same with China, you can do that, yeah. So, because I often, and I will ne- next, uh, in two weeks, I'm. On the Sarah Cox show, and they want me and my guitarist just to go and do China, and you can make it work on either. Yeah, and I did um, God bless him, uh, Terry Wogan show last year, and we did nowhere acoustically oh, yeah. um, from Pleasure and Pain, and we did China for Terry uh, acoustically. So it works on many levels. Yeah.
0: It's a, it's it is such a brilliant cheers. song. Uh, cheers! Cheers! To China you in your hands.
1: <laughs> why, do, why do the Irish have such weird spellings? <laughs> I know. It's like Schneid. <laughs> It's got about four O's in just it. Just a whole a, load of vowels. Yeah, I know. And the Welsh are the reverse, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. They're all I'm the just saying if you play Countdown in Welsh, it'd be a consonant, please. i take another consonant. <laughs> i have a consonant. Take another consonant. And so
0: mm. tell me then, when you finished, say, the first album, so the first album was big hit, yeah. you know, you're touring, yeah. Wembley, sure. all that sort of stuff, and then you go away, you do the second album. Mm-hmm. What was it like at that point Into Pow because you you're on the crest of this massive wave
1: it was amazing and to be honest i think it's when we did rage we started doing the arenas i think with bridges spies we were still largely supporting people like brian adams and doing the sheds with him and then I think we managed to jump onto hammersmith odeon size venues by the time rage came out we were booking out embley booking out the NEC, and and it was incredible and, and although it was a hard won victory um from when I met Ron, it was probably six years before we got our deal, finally got a deal, you know, get... Okay. So it was a long time coming. Then, like you said, we had this blip with Heart and Soul, and then we get the reprieve with the Pepe Jeans commercial, and then we took off like a rocket, and it just didn't stop, and you get used to it really quickly. And so you get, I went from being on the dole to, you know, first-class travel... Richard Branson gave Ronnie and I a two-week holiday on Necker Island because he was our label boss at the okay, time yeah. uh, as a thank you, you know. Nominated for five Brit Awards. Didn't get one of them. <laughs> nominated. always was the bridesmaid, you know. Ivan Novello Awards, ASCAP Awards in the States for songwriting. Just, it was just amazing, but it was like, and I thought it would last forever and it didn't. Yeah, but at, but you very quickly get used to everybody. Suddenly, loves everything you do. They've gone from not giving a shit about anything you do to loving everything you do. That, and um, if, it, you get used to it quickly. You know,
0: it, is that amazing or just great after a while?
1: No, it's amazing. <laughs> Come on, everybody loves you. Loves what you do. You know, you're making loads of money. Everybody's buying your records, and you're getting like a good table in a restaurant upgraded when you fly anywhere. What's not to like is plenty fantastic. And also, hang on, little sip. We're drinking, dear listener.
0: We certainly are. <laughs> um, uh,
1: that was also before the days of chronic paparazzi. Okay. So, yeah, there were photographers starting to follow me around. And they take a particular interest in you as a girl in, in, yeah. in rock. And I did have the odd thing happen. Like, I remember getting out of a car, going to a film premiere... And I had a short skirt on. And I turned to get out of the car and this photographer dropped to his knees to shoot up my crutch. And I just said...
0: Classic guy.
1: No, I just said, "It's not the only cunt round here, is it, mate? (laughs) Excuse me. It's my husband, I'll just tell him what (laughs) we're doing. Yeah, so, but we weren't dogged like the famous are dogged now. So, uh, from my point of view, there was little downside. All of a sudden, you're popular... Fated and acclaimed. And that's exactly what I wanted. So, you know, why wouldn't I like that?
0: (laughs) I've got a question before we move away from Bridges' Boys. There's something that I've always, I don't even know if this is a thing and I've never Googled it. I always used to get confused when I would hear the Enya song, which came out after. Oh yeah. After Chimes. Yes, Orinoco Flow, yeah. Did you ever, did you listen to that and go, hold on a second.
1: And you too, sweetest thing. Ah, the sweet, they issued a statement saying that they'd started that song years ago because people, um, we never went after U2, but uh, fans were writing in calling Radio One and saying of Pow, been in touch with their lawyers because U2 have nicked that, yeah. Wow. And the same with the anything, but the- there's certain, to be done for breaching somebody else's writing or copyright, or whatever you want to call it, there's a certain amount of bars that have to go past. Okay before um, you're, you're deemed to be to have copied. Okay. Which is why um, Sam Smith has had to settle with... Um, oh, yes. Tom yeah, Petty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a friend of mine settled out of court with... Um, remember, was it Mika? Because uh, his song... Take it easy. It's just... I just died in your arms tonight. Oh, my because God. By Cutting Crew, they settled out of court, yeah. Because it was so... So much of the chord progression and so much of the melody that you could wind through each song. that there's a there's a press, there's a court case there, but not for the opening pizzicato strings of a song. We we weren't in the position to say, all hand over some cash. But it was bizarrely similar.
0: It was. I mean, yeah. I thought it was ridiculous. And Me I, too. I was 10.
1: Unimaginative. <laughs> yeah. Get your own fucking intro. Yeah. You know what, Carol?
0: You come over to Dublin. <laughs> yeah. We're going to drive out of that castle we're gonna and we're going to knock on the door. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: that Bono. Get your own intro. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, So after, like when you've done the two albums, you did Rage. Yeah. Um when that was the arenas tours and sure, everything, yeah. and you you guys you split up. Yeah. Um Well we and split
1: up after The Promise, actually. The third album Oh, the third one, yeah. yes.
0: Which and um, you know what? My favourite Tapeo song is on The Promise and it is Whenever You Need Me. Whenever, Whenever
1: You Need Me. you need me now. Oh my god.
0: Whenever you need me now, in
1: world Ronnie and I had written enough songs for the first two albums in all those years in our damp flat so we didn't have to stop we went straight back into the studio with roy thomas baker came out with rage and on we carried we were on the road for 17 months and then we came to a halt we hadn't we didn't have one song left and hadn't had time to write and we bought a little keyboard and the sequence and tried to write on the road but that wasn't the right environment for ron and i we need to get in the studio then you're under pressure to keep up a certain momentum so the record company said you know this the next album needs to be out by blah 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 so we went into a residential rehearsal studio with the band and we co-wrote the promise with the bands which was great so we sat in a collaborative environment with um dean mike paul and tim and wrote the promise um and it's great and i think it's a cruelly sorely underrated album
0: yeah i i I really like it brilliantly
1: produced by andy richards that
0: first song cell destruction is a completely different vibe again yeah which you seem to do that a little bit like you kind of reinvent the sound just a little bit but it was always distinctively to pair yeah
1: i i just i've got quite an eclectic style you know i quite like to mix it up a bit and i do like percussive vocals you know, that's why I quite like sort of my terrible version of sort of rapping, chatting, you know. <laughs> yeah. I do like that.
0: Because even when you when you went away and when you came back with that song, Just Dream, Yeah, that was completely different. Oh, Just I Dream. Really.
1: Yeah, that was just a little solo project. Ronnie and I wrote that and we just popped it out as a solo thing. So completely different. To, but
0: But as soon as you heard it, you go out to about
1: I really love that. And I try not to read the comments on YouTube, I think, because you always come across somebody who says something really horrible. And you, oh, yeah. And that's the only comment you remember. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. <laughs> You can have a hundred people say you're amazing, and one person goes, yeah. "This is a shite." And you're going, "Ah!"
0: Yeah. Like I'm a comedian, and the, if you're looking at an audience, I'll be the judge. Of the that. one <laughs> person, <yeah. laughs> you see, <laughs> the one person that's sitting there with a face on them. Oh. You know, that's the one that, you, that defines yeah. the whole gig for you. So, and I read
1: um, some comments about Just Dream going, "What the hell?" Because some fans won't let you step out of what they expect of you, Okay. and they don't say, "Oh." Um, I mean, you know, well, some things work for some people and some things don't, which is fair enough. But some fans just won't let you step out of that little box they've put you in. They don't want you to. So, you know, but I think Just Dream's great.
0: So when The Promise came out, that was the album that you finished on. Was that, sure. was that a tough one to do?
1: It was incredibly tough because we were falling out. And um, it was me and Ron and the boys <clears throat> were very, they were unhappy creatively, which was another reason to start writing with them. They were fed up of just being told what to play. Because Ronnie and I were signed to the label. We'd written all of the songs, as I said previously. We just needed some talented musicians to deliver them on the stage and on the record. And they got paid handsomely for that, in my opinion. They then wanted... And they got a cut of merchandise. And, you know, they got sort of incentive perks on the top. And I think um, it was a good package for them. Um, But they they started to want more. And... You'd have to ask Ronnie what he thought, because he had to side with me because he was my boyfriend. Yeah. But I'm not entirely sure he always agreed with me. I can't speak for did him. You,
0: did you call the shots?
1: Yes, I did. And some one particular band member didn't like that at all, because he was quite misogynistic, you know. Okay. Um, and I realise now, looking back, we were marketed as a band. And I always wanted to be in a band, and I was a real tomboy, you know. I loved Debbie Harry, I loved Chrissy Hind, I loved that, you know, front and the band thing. Yeah. But looking back, it was political suicide because we weren't a band. No. Ronnie and I wrote all the songs. Ronnie and I were signed to the label and I was the focal point. And I sold it to everybody, you know? Yeah. And it was like a it should have been more of a benign dictatorship, to be <laughs> honest, looking back. And, you know, I've I've gone on to make friends again with tim our drummer who lives in toronto he's a great friend dean our guitarist we we buried the hatchet and we all realized we'd all acted a bit stupidly but when we were making the promise we'd be in the control room with roy and the phone would ring from reception and they'd say and the boys the four boys would go out it was their lawyer so ronnie and i'd be sat there with roy and the boys would go out and have a conference call with their lawyer then they'd come back in And then the phone would ring again and the reception at Rockfield would say, um, it's Carol and and Ronnie's lawyer. So Ronnie and I'd leave the room and talk to our lawyer and then come back in because the two lawyers had then spoken on the phone. And it's like a really horrible divorce, you know?
0: Oh, God. And at the same time, you're trying to write an album. Uh,
1: Yeah, and the thing that they did for me, uh, and I don't like... It's horrible talking about it because I have made friends with Tim and Dean, but it's just a fact. It's also in the book. Um... When you write a song, um, we just split it six ways. The six of us in the room. It's a six-way split. Under the old publishing laws, if I want to, as the lyricist, and particularly the main melody writer, I could take 50% of the song. I can also take a sixth of the other 50% if if I wanted to. I didn't. I did a six-way split. So when we wouldn't agree certain terms with them, they then said then you can't put the album out we'll put an embargo on the songs because we've got 4 6 against oh. you and Ron and that just kind of did it for me because i was i don't think they realized how generous
0: you were already was being been. Yeah. yeah
1: and um and then my father died right in the middle of the album he dropped out of a massive heart attack and and they didn't even ask when the funeral was or send my mum any flowers or anything. Their rancor with me was so consumed them. And I found that a bit unforgivable. So yeah. I did the tour and then at the end of that tour I sent them all the marching orders. I wrote to them and fired them. But the backdrop to that was that the band's popularity was waning anyway. Okay. So we wouldn't have been able to keep them on a retainer. They were all on a retainer when we weren't on the road. Although, to be fair to them, we were always on the road. Yeah. But they were on a retainer, so they were on a salary at home or working.
0: Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay, Which I'm still deal. paying
1: off. <laughs> still on recouped at Virgin, believe it or not. Um, so I think they were on a really great package. But I think we all handled it really badly looking back. Because um, we were just, everybody's nose was out of joint. So Yeah. Um yeah, but the band's popularity were waning. So we emerged. Eighty-nine we disappeared after rage. We come back out of our little foxhole in ninety-one with the promise ready to go. And you've got the stone roses. You've got the farm.
0: Things are changed.
1: There's raves. Everyone's dropping a knee and dancing in a field to indistinguishable yeah. <laughs> beats, you know. Um, and we were just so old fashioned. It was so old-fashioned, and for the whole of the 90s, I was dead in the water, whether I stayed in the band or not. Nobody was interested in my kind of music. And also, like I said, I couldn't change. I couldn't suddenly reinvent myself as a rave artist. Or And then you had Oasis and Blur, and there's a complete... Yeah, the 90s and... were
0: so strange. Yeah,
1: and we were absolutely derided. We were laughed at. You know, I... I it was like being a Holocaust denier. No, I wasn't into POW. But you got me mixed up with someone else. <laughs> you didn't want anyone to know you were in some 80s pop rock band. You know, it was a terrible time for me, creatively. Um, um,
0: yeah. Um, after the, it finished, like, so 91 to 98, like, what did you do in those intervening years? Like, was it just recording? Oh, I got drunk a lot.
1: Um, well, um, it wasn't a great time. Ronnie and I broke up. In 93, and we'd been going, and the, the lead up to that breakup was awful. I'm sure anybody who's been in a long-term relationship that ends will know you might be a year to 18 months of it disintegrating. Yeah. So prior to the actual breakup, the preceding year was not great. I was difficult to live with. I'd lost all my, fa- I'd lost my fame and my status and, it, and my success, and it meant a lot to me. It really did. Ego on a stick. Uh Ronnie had also lost his mum, okay. and uh he hadn't had time to grieve that they were very very close she we buried her and jumped on a plane and left for America the next day God. it was hard and he just stalled staved all of that off until he had time to face it you know and so he he wasn't well I wasn't happy we weren't giving each other anything um and he said he wanted a, it was like the friends, you know, we need, we're on a break. Yeah. And the break has lasted 20 years. <laughs> I went off and got married. But you've done a things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> done, yeah. Um, No, it was a terrible time. So I went out to LA and my best mate lives out there. And I just toed and froed back to London, make sure the house hadn't burnt down. And then I was just out in the States, did a bit of writing. Uh, c- a couple of those songs are on pleasure and pain. Oh, right. Uh, And uh, what else did I do? Did some radio presenting, bits and bobs. Not a lot. Just rested on my laurels. And I wasn't in a good place at all. Had a dreadful relationship with someone just because I didn't know how to be on my own. Yeah. But then in 1997, and this is where I love a good pub. Pubs are like chapels. They're fantastic. I lived in Kentish Town in London, which was quite a scruffy area. And, um, although I had a nice kind of beaten up old Victorian, oh my God, it's worth fortune now. But when I bought it in 88 with Ron, it was just, you know, the two houses opposite us were DOS houses, DHSS DOS houses where all the tramps had come okay. and all the piss heads, you know, that's how scruffy the area was. And, uh, there was this massive old pub Irish boozer at the end of my street that sold the stalest cheese and onion baps in the world and <laughs> horrible wine and baby sham and flat beer. And this guy called Simon Palmer took it over because in the mid to late 90s, it was the start of the gastro pub movement. Oh, yeah. And he had run two of the hippest places in London. So he took it on himself, gutted it. So then all the Primrose Hillbillies. Now, Primrose Hill wasn't that far away from me at all. But the difference between Katie Town and Primrose Hill was remarkable. All the Primrose Hillbillies came and sniffed around this pub. One of whom was a guy called Will Ashurst, who had been in the music business for years. He'd had his own uh, video production company. He worked for EMI. He was a lawyer. He'd managed his brother's band. And we got chatting in this pub. We got introduced by one of the bartenders who was an out-of-work actor. And Will starts to manage me. And he put a little band together around me. And I start to do a few gigs. He then introduces me to one of his best friends who has a restaurant in Primrose Hill. Richard, who's now... My husband so my whole life turned around wow. just as I was hitting 40 wow and I suddenly I'm madly in, seriously in love I didn't think I'd ever be in love again I'd had four years of being like an empty black hole since Ronnie and i had split up just drinking and moping and doing nothing and hanging around with bad people and I partied too hard I had no focus at all you know so I get a new manager, um, his band, the band he put around me were all 15 years younger than me, so they were really hot guys, which never hurts. Never
0: hurts, absolutely not. And,
1: and I meet Richard, and in six months we're pregnant with Scarlett, I'm pregnant, aged 40, and everything started to turn around. And I was gigging away with my new band and I made an album called Red, put that out. Which
0: is. That's a fantastic album. Thank you. Yeah, the, the first track on that, I can never remember the name of them. With a Little Look.
1: You like that one?
0: That is absolutely brilliant. And also, there's another one that I always call With a Little Look, but it's not With a Little Look. It's called... Uh,
1: uh, oh God, don't, with, I don't know the names of any of the songs.
0: Yeah. I am t- The names of songs? I know I know. It's, yeah. a, I think it's about number five. Yeah. Uh, but I always call that one With a Little Look because I think that it has those words on it. Sp- sh- I
1: probably did the uh, same lyrics twice. <laughs> 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 out of ideas but again I sold it. it it didn't get any radio play but I sell it I sold it on the road and in great. really healthy numbers you yeah, know really great um, and I've had to learn to live that way but I'd be a liar if I said I don't miss chart success I'd love it I'd love to hear yeah. one of my new songs on the radio it's, it'd be fresh it it would it gives you momentum you know i find
0: it really depressing that there's an age between about 25 and 50 where there's just this void yeah. where people are just kind of once you go into your 30s you're just kind of ignored
1: yes it's definitely. really really weird know, uh, you know
0: yeah. even tv shows they want you know if I'm writing a TV show, if I'm yeah. trying to submit an idea, it's like, well, we want to get people who are 25. It's like, you
1: couldn't give a shit about I talking know. to people
0: who are 25. Well, Richard
1: <laughs> cheers me up. I was, funnily enough, I was watching Chrissy Hind on the Andrew Marr show the other day. She's got a new album, but I'm sure there'll always be quite a big market there for for the Pretenders. I'd be interested to to know how much radio play they get, but mm. I'm sure if they choose to tour, which they will, there'll be a huge crowd waiting for them. You know, yeah, no doubt about it. And so Richard and I got talking and he always cheers me up. He's saying, Carol, even when Madonna goes on tour with a new album, people really only want to hear Holiday and Into the Crew. I'm going, nobody wants to hear my <laughs> new songs. And he said, the Rolling Stones, I said, yeah, but at least they can console themselves by playing to 80,000 people. Exactly. Instead of yeah. you know? <laughs> 80. With
0: 80,000 people, you have no <laughs> problems doing a whole night of shining yeah. in your hand. <laughs>
1: but I take his point. Yeah. You know, they work hard to stay, they're creative. Yeah. Madonna's the same age as me give or take a year and she you know they they still are uh, chrissy hind she's 65 now can you believe it and they work hard to stay creative because well they don't actually work hard i think they are creative people we are still creative but it's a young person's game so it's really difficult to get yeah and i don't want to hang out with people my age they're all farts (laughs) I want to play to young people, but young people aren't interested in me because I'm an old fart to them. <laughs> so you're really stuck, you know?
0: Yeah, it's... Yeah. I, I, I don't know how that changes, but there seems to be so much love for the nostalgia and stuff of... of, of, of and that's... And I
1: and I am grateful because I still did, don't have to get a proper job, which <laughs> is great, you know. Thank you, everybody. Well,
0: that's the thing. Your I suppose your advice to new artists is write your own songs. Write your own
1: songs, yeah. And... Yeah. S- I don't know, people often ask me, you know, do, do you think it's harder for young bands now? I wouldn't know. I don't, I wouldn't know how to compare. To me, there seem to be more tools at your disposal. Like you could never leave your front room as long as you YouTube all your yeah. stuff. And you can get a pickup that way. In my day, you got on a van and shot up the motorway and played <laughs> in some crappy pub, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's better or worse. I really don't know. But I'm sure, in fact, I should. I'm getting nagged to death by my gorgeous daughter who's 18 and very savvy. She's always said, Mum, and she's going to uh uni to do 2D animation also. She's a really good little filmmaker. She's always cool. said, Mum, get the band over here and do an acoustic session in the front room and I'll film it. We'll put it up. You know, and I need to get my finger out my butt, don't I? There's lots of yeah. stuff I can do. I have to be my own record label now, my own shop window, Um, and I'm really lazy about it because I I miss, I just want to sing and write songs and have someone else worry about how to market it all.
0: That that job is gone for the record company now, is It's it's a thing that you have to do. I know, and I'm just struggling to come to
1: terms with it because it's so much work and what did Elvis say? All I want to do is sing. That's all I want to do. <laughs> but I've just got to accept that if I if I want to get any profile at all for anything I do, that I have to do it myself.
0: Have you ever thought of crowdfunding stuff?
1: Yeah, a few of my mates have done that, but they ended up having to have dinner with people and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Invite them into the studio for an afternoon to get their money out uh, no, of them. No, no, fuck, no that. fuck that, no, no way. I do want to do you with don't my fans. Do no. <laughs> I just want their no. money. Yeah, no, I'm joking. No, um, yeah, you you have to give up a bit of your soul for the crowdfunding thing. There's all these packages. Yeah, that you could do. Um, you could just sign a T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> like um, raised by wolves. You know the show by Kettle Moran. Oh
0: yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
1: been dropped, and so they're crowdfunding it. And I was oh. having a look, and there's all these packages for 100, 200, 500, a thousand pounds. Hang out with the cast, and we should probably drive the cast mad! Oh, no.
0: Yeah, that would be really annoying.
1: Yeah, Reggie.
0: It's a very cute dog.
1: My dog's just come in to try and get into what the a cute uh,
0: dog? He hello. Is, isn't he? Hello. Yes, he yeah. So what's next?
1: Um, I don't have a plan. <laughs> I'd like to be able to. Well, firstly, like we said, um, there is my. I've only just. Last year was really hectic. I did thirty three shows with Nick Kershaw and Go West. Okay. And I've just done another five with them. I did twenty three acoustic shows promoting my autobiography, Heart and Soul. Oh wow. And that was a beautiful. 23. Fall. 23. Jesus. Yeah. I did, I know. Um, in fact, I broke my arm on purpose so I could just <laughs> yeah. stop working. No, enough. I can't do anything, yeah. I broke an arm, leave it alone. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and it was beautiful cause the, um, it's like the art center circuit. So the amount of chapels that have been converted into gigs and stuff, and they're great. And we were talking earlier about being lapsed Catholics. So I was just yeah. waiting for a lightning bolt to strike me down when I set foot. Because some of them are still, actually, when I say they've been converted, some of them are still churches. It's just they have gigs now, they make a bit of money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the churches
0: are hopping on. <laughs> and, yeah,
1: and the acoustics are beautiful. So I went out, um, there were five of us, so it's like five-part close harmony. Oh, wow! and everybody nagged me to death to to do an acoustic album but oh. i'm just so freaking dozy so i probably missed the boat because that was like this time last year i was on that and i just do things and then i get tired and lazy and forget oh yeah right i promised i'd do an album shit i forgot that's a year ago no one's gonna care anymore no they i've will. left it too long <laughs> they will
0: they will just remind them you remember that thing i did it was yeah. really good here's the album
1: well i like, as long as I'm prepared to go out there and, and work it I can do what I want when I want
0: yeah, so that's which is a freedom. nice yeah that's a nice position to be in yeah. and also as well you know because the success was so big you know you, you're not living paycheck to paycheck no you
1: know, no I'm you know. very lucky and my husband has a good job and we have a lovely lovely life um, yeah but maybe that's the um, the push I'm missing because I'm just <laughs> thinking can I be bothered to go to Newcastle I've got a box set of The Killing to get through. <laughs> I think i watched The Killing. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I tell you what, having this broken arm, I'm watching a lot of, lot of box sets. What are you watching now? Oh, I'm on The Killing. The Killing? No spoilers.
0: No, I, do you know what I haven't seen? It's I watched,
1: fantastic. I watched,
0: I think, four episodes, and I got to a bit where there was a scene of somebody crying for ages, and I thought,
1: Oh, no, well, Scando crime me. dramas are <laughs> very dark and bleak. Yeah. Did you watch The Bridge in the Tunnel? No, I haven't seen any the same of them yet. Thing, yeah, um, and uh, and you can't you can't kind of make a cup of coffee or get your you've got to focus because it's all subtitled. Yes. You know,
0: I'm the devil for that. I'm always, can be no, always no, no, no. You well, actually, that'd be I good for look. you
1: because you you we all do uh, three things at once now. And when I first got on Twitter, I would be watching the x factor and two glasses of white wine going who's this fucking tit (laughs) and loads of people would be chatting to me and in the end my husband said could you watch the television with me please and not all these people we don't know and um so i had to stop that because i was in the doghouse but that's and and my husband will be doing emails on his phone and i said will you watch the film because it's it's something you've got to participate in.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So the good thing about the subtitles is you've got to pay attention.
0: Yeah, or you miss it all. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm gonna give that a go. Because
1: my Danish isn't that good. to don't about yours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not a word.
1: Yeah. So so yeah. So in terms of what am I doing next? No plan. It's just like it's like death by a thousand gigs. Now it's just a <laughs> continual thing. Yeah. You know, and um, and this is really pleasurable. You've come to my home, and I'm. I'm Grateful, I haven't had to go to any effort to yes. to make this happen. So chatting to well, you, you give me wine. I don't, I don't. Delighted. Yeah, we'll work for wine. Yeah, and then uh, I've got the Sarah Cox show in a couple of weeks, like I Brilliant. said. I'm presenting for Vintage TV. Do you have Vintage over in Ireland? No, vintage no. TV. It's up on uh, satellite.
0: All oh, right. Okay. You
1: know? And um, it's a great channel. It tends to deal with you, people of my era. More. You
0: did West End stuff, didn't you? you... I
1: did in the. Um, excuse me. Burping, uh, 2003, I did a play called Mum's the Word, oh, yeah. which had toured brilliantly. It might have come to Ireland, it toured all over Europe, did really well. I did the West End production with um, Imogen Stubbs and Patsy Palmer and Imogen.
0: Kathy I Tyson. I love Imogen Stubbs.
1: Oh. It's in the book. going to have to buy the book. I'm going to have to buy the book. I'll give you a copy. I'll sign a copy for you. Oh my God. It won't take you long to read, actually, it's a bit thin. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you have
0: a lot on, Carol.
1: I no, Sometimes I agreed to do it. <laughs> I agreed to do it and then did what I always do, which is um, I had a deadline, left it till about a week before and had to type like a crash, like a monk, what is it called? They call it a crash test dummy or a... Uh, you know, and uh, oh my God, I always do that. I put myself under so much pressure. One, one minute I had six months to finish it, and the next minute I had three weeks. I was going, <laughs> and I forgot half my stories. If I wrote it again, it'd be thicker. But there you go.
0: Well, Carol, it was just absolute pleasure. Brilliant. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. That was the fantastic Carol Decker there. She is the best crack. I ended up staying for ages after that interview and had a little bit more wine and I am a total lightweight. Carol offered to get me a cab to go to the train station but I said, Carol, I'll walk. It's fantastic around here. Well, three hours later, I was still wandering around Henley. It's very nice, by the way. Bridges, Spies and The Virgin Anthology are available everywhere you buy music, and they are absolutely fantastic. Also, you can go to the store on tapow.co.uk to get signed copies of Carol's autobiography, Heart and Soul, which really, really captures the Carol that you have just heard. This section is absolutely hilarious, and it's about Carol performing at the Prince's Trust concert, and she is actually in a queue waiting to go on stage. So all the artists are lined up about to do their performance and they just have to wait and one by one walk on, do their song and then walk off. Just before her performance, Misha Paris had a broken microphone and we helpfully offered her the use of my radio mic. She swiped it out of my hand like I was the help and flounced onto the stage without a word of thanks. She was not in a very good mood, but was also way too big and too rock hard to be pulled up on her manners. In fact, I think, <laughs> I, think I thanked her for handing it back. Jerry Hall took her place on the stage and began to read our little introductory biog from a distant auto queue. Unfortunately, due to being either myopic or just from Texas, <laughs> she stumbled over almost every syllable and finally introduced us as Teapot. <laughs> uh, so, if that sounds like your bag, get it. I read it and it is absolutely hilarious. All of the Tapau albums are also there. Of course, everybody loves the stuff from the 80s, but I particularly love Red. I think it's absolutely brilliant and also Pleasure and Pain. Also, there is a really, really cool DVD called The Story Behind the Tracks, which is a documentary where Carol and Ronnie revisit the house they lived in when they wrote all of those songs, and they talk about each song. It's absolutely brilliant, particularly if you're interested in how demos become songs. It's really interesting. Fascinated at headstuff.org if you want to get in touch with me. You can check out Carol on Twitter, at Carol Decker, and tell her you heard the interview. You can follow me at Garraud Farrelly and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or headstuff.org. My thanks to Carol and to everybody at Headstuff and the Headstuff Podcast Network. Check out their other shows. I personally love The Alison Spittle Show. Also, if you heard the Kelly Bryan episode, you can still donate to Kelly's fundraising drive for the St. Thomas Lupus Trust. If you give enough for a cocktail for me and a cocktail for Kelly on Just Giving to I Gave to Kel's Cause, C-O-Z. And if you get a receipt for that email to you, forward it on to fascinatedatheadstuff.org and we're going to try and do something nice for everyone that donates. So, what are you waiting for? I'll have a new episode in two weeks, and guess what? It's not a singer. Mull over that one for a while. Thanks for listening. There are moments you don't expect. I never thought I would be talking to Carol Decker with such authority about the lifespan of a fridge. They're lovely fridges, though. Two door thing. Crap. My last fridge was
1: great, but it died.
0: (laughs) They don't last. They really don't. Well, you heard it here first. Fridges don't last. That's the sort of insight you really come to expect from this podcast. This podcast is part of the HeadStuff Podcast Network. Hurry into Ram Power Days and experience the raw power of the Ram 3500, with available best-in-class torque and towing among 350 3500 pickups when properly equipped. Strap yourself in for one powerful ride in the Ram TRX, with the most horsepower of any gas pickup ever built, or the Ram 1500, awarded number one in driver appeal among light-duty pickups by JD Power three years in a
1: row. Hurry into Ram Power Days going on now. For J.D. Power 2022 U.S. award information, visit jdpower.com awards.